You're listening to Soul Power with Angela Jordan and Gabriel Harley, the podcast by, about, and for solopreneurs. Hello and welcome to Soul Power. I'm Gabriel Harley. And I'm Angela Jordan. And today we're going to be talking about the journey to solopreneurship in this new podcast that we've started. We are going to talk about what made us decide to jump ship from the corporate world or the higher ed world <laughs> and uh, join the, I would say, growing movement of self-employed mm-hmm. and uh, self-determined Absolutely. individuals. Um, my background, I'm a musician, a record producer, engineer, recording studio owner. And uh, Angela is? I am a life coach uh, right now. I have a background in marketing and public relations, but I became a life coach in 2013, and this is where I'm staying. Excellent. What, uh, what was it that drew you to coaching in the first place? You know, that's interesting because I'd always thought about being a therapist. I was always the person in my group of friends who people sought for counsel, you know, asked me advice about this or that. Um, so that was kind of my role um, throughout life. And I wanted to be a therapist, but I didn't want to do an MSW. <laughs> I really <laughs> did not want to do it. Um, and I know enough therapists to know some of the grueling stuff that they deal with um, in you know, their first year out and and even well after that. So being a life coach really appealed to me. Um, There's definitely an aspect of therapy in there. It's a kind of modeled on therapy. And there's an aspect of teaching and training to it. So it it fulfills many needs for me. I don't, you know, I've wondered about that because I... Uh, a couple of years ago came to you when I was thinking about, right. you know, rearranging my my professional life a bit. Um, well, because of COVID largely, you know, the, the things we could rely upon before for <laughs> income and clients and things like that had, had pretty much dried up or shifted directions totally. Um, but I likened our relationship in that realm to almost like a, a therapist or a, a counselor as much as being a you know, a goal setter or a coach or anything right. like that. And I, something I really hadn't thought about was that they actually may have modeled coaching on that sort of yeah. thing. So um, did, what kind of training did you end up doing or what kind of formal education for coaching? Did, was there particular courses that you looked at or books that you read? or All of the above. Um, so to be a life coach in the United States, you don't technically have to have a certification or a license or anything like that. You can hang out your shingle and call yourself a life coach. Um, but I'm a strong proponent of um, getting a certification, getting some credentials behind your name and some training. Um, so you know how to work with clients and you know the kinds of questions to ask and the kinds of questions not to ask. Um, so I went through uh, a coaching program that started in fall of 2013 and got my certification in June of 2014 and was pretty much off to the races from there. So once I decided on becoming a coach, it was full speed ahead. And how once you sort of hung out your shingle, what did you do to to get those first clients? I'm asked that a lot, actually. Um, and that's where my marketing background came in handy. 
Um, and as I was going through my coaching program, I, mem- I remember people saying uh, that marketing background is going to come in real handy for you as you're, you know, trying to market your business. So I was initially working with people who were looking for career coaches. So people who are in the middle of a career that is not on the trajectory they want and they feel like they're in a little bit of a rut. So they contact me. Well, that's pretty much the general public. So I just made sure that my information was out everywhere on Google, on um, LinkedIn, on Angie's List at the time, um, on Yelp, just anywhere that people could find me. And people found me that way. So now that I'm transitioning into working with solopreneurs, it's going to have to be much more of a referral-based business. Mm. So a little bit different. That's one thing when I'm asked by, because I've done a fair amount of talks at colleges and audio programs and things like that over the years. And um, something I'm often asked is, you know, what kind of courses should I take? or, Or what do you wish you had learned more about when you were in school or, you know, starting out? And I always say, you know, I mean... Obviously, you can always learn more of the craft of music and audio, but marketing and business classes, mm-hmm. accounting classes, uh, if you're going to be a solopreneur or a you know, self-employed person, you can't have too much. Right. Right. <laughs> too much I agree. That. I agree. Um, and it's, you know, as much as we, I like to say, oh, yeah, I'm a producer engineer. I'm probably 70% a marketing person. Right. At least 70% of my time goes into that as opposed to, you know, actually doing the thing. That, and I would imagine being a coach is very similar. You're constantly trying to get the message out. And, yeah. And make new contacts and things like that. Yeah. So if, you know, if you're afraid of marketing or sales, um, it can be a little tricky. I'm not afraid of it. Um, it's It's been very beneficial for me. But, you know, if you are thinking of becoming a solopreneur and, you know, meeting the masses or networking sounds very scary to you, um, don't don't let it bother you. You can you can work through it. You can get through it. And the marketing thing as well. People get scared of marketing, but it's it's easier than you think. And there are so many resources out there now free resources online for people can you any come to mind that you could mention for people um well for coaching there's a website coachingtools.com um i use some of their materials i know some other coaches locally who use some of their materials as well um canva.com c-a-n-v-a is a great little desktop publishing um, website, and you really don't have to have a lot of um, graphic design background to be able to use it. They make it pretty foolproof, and they set up templates for you. So that's nice. And they even have templates for social media already at the correct sizes. So yeah, it's nice. We'll have to put links to those in the description of the podcast so people can access them. So excellent. Um, Any other any other important resources or good resources out there mm. people would look into? I can't think of any others off the top of my head. I'm sure there are millions, but those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. LinkedIn, actually. Oh, LinkedIn yeah. also has um, a learning component that hmm. I think they just implemented maybe in the last couple of years, probably when they were bought by Microsoft. And they have a really heavy-duty learning component now. You can get certifications and badges and... Um, 
you know, all sorts of stuff. And of course, there are podcasts, lots of podcasts yes, there out are. there about starting your own business. And there are, and uh, you know, breaking into the breaking out of the old and into the new, so to speak. So. Indeed, indeed. So, what were you doing before you became a coach? Let's see, how far back do we want to go? Um, right before I became a coach, I was working in corporate marketing. And I had worked in nonprofits for years, so I kind of knew my way around that world. And um, I'd worked in corporate, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s. But I thought, okay, let's, you know, stretch ourselves. Let's focus, put ourselves forward. Let's get this great corporate marketing job and work our way up. And... <clears throat> Uh, didn't quite happen that way. Mm. So um, marketing, at least the marketing that I was involved with, was very fast paced, uh, very high stress. And at the end of the day, it's marketing. Right. <laughs> it's not brain surgery. Right. So you're not saving lives unless you're doing marketing for a hospital or, you know. A, even though it's indirect. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And I have a, a history of anxiety and depression, so that factored in as well, and um, had a bit of a meltdown at the end of my corporate marketing job and said, uh, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And uh, that started me on the uh, on the coaching path. Was it a, a pretty much an immediate transition? Did you, you know, sort of like... In the background, be, were you prepping for a coaching career, or did you just say, "You know, I'm done with this now. Now mm -hmm. something new." Exactly. It was it was the latter. So, I quit. That's it. Can't do that anymore. Okay. Well, if I can't do that, what is it? It's. I felt like I'd been job hopping and just trying to find the right fit, and nothing seemed to really fit. I mean, I got along with the people fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the work was, I, I could do it well, but it just, as you were saying, it just doesn't, you know, didn't feed my soul. And um, so I decided, okay, if it's not this, then what is it? It's time to kind of figure it out. And I wanted to do a more purposeful look at it. Like, okay, not just what's the next career? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're actually put here to do? Um, and so I saw a life coach. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that that was what I wanted to do, and that was its name. So once I decided on that, it was uh, full speed forward. Awesome. Yeah. How about you? Tell me about your teaching days. I want to hear My about that. My teaching days. <laughs> well, um, so I had, before I was um, involved in higher ed, I, I had been a musician you know, all through my, I think I played my first like paid gig at 13 or something. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, it pretty much done that almost exclusively. I, I had a job at a guitar store, I think at the same time, you know, when I was in my late teens, early twenties. Um, but you know, I, as I'd said before, I, you know, as I got married and got into my 20s and 30s and decided, oh, I need to have something a little more mm -hmm. stable and responsible, something at least with some insurance or something. Um, you know, and being in Indiana, finding gigs as a musician can be challenging. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially anything uh, you know, sort of more steady. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sort of, you know, club dates and things like that, that you can play, but they're not, you know, not generally very lucrative. 
Um, so I, I decided I'd always loved English and literature and things like that. And I decided, well, I'm going to get a degree in English. And originally I had, I was going to go for a, um, a secondary ed degree, but then I was around a lot of secondary ed majors and it was a lot of, I, there were some who were really bright, I, I, but there were a lot of kind of people who were, you know, more concerned with teaching the kids to make wire coat hanger animals uh, than actually becoming experts in any field, right? They were, they were there to, to facilitate kids doing something. And I was always of the mindset that, no, you, you should really be a professional in your field who can, who can also teach. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I saw that even as I uh, changed tracks, I, I decided I want to do higher ed, um, which I end up in, eventually ended up doing. Um, there's not as much uh, emphasis placed on competence in the field mm. as there is um, on talking about what you can do in the field. Interesting. You know, it's it's based on publication and theoretical sorts of approaches to things as opposed to the practical mm -hmm. approaches and uh, the actual accomplishments, you know, that you've done. Now, there are there are differences. I mean, in, you know, the world of, say, if, you, if you're in a music department in, in a college, you might be, you know, judged more on the... the pieces you've written and the mm -hmm. premieres you've done and things like that. But definitely in the, the more straightforward liberal arts world, it was about, um, oh, I can talk about, you know, these obscure theories and write self-referential articles. Um, and to, on top of that, so when I eventually did become a full-time academic, um, I ended up working there for, well, I taught off and on for about 10 years and then I taught full-time as well and was it really that long yeah. gosh wow it was actually ended up i think a total of like 15 years altogether but um and you lived to tell the tale i lived to tell the tale <laughs> yeah the the last few years were harrowing um i was in a, a department where there uh, i won't go into too many details but there were some less than honest people mm. running the finance financial end of things mm. Um, there were some, a lot of micromanaging and Ugh. controlling kinds of behaviors, um, to the point where they ended up after I left and everybody who was started around the same time that I did left as well. Uh, they dissolved the whole department and you know, restructured a bunch of oh, stuff. Wow. So it was, it was kind of, uh, vindicating to know that it wasn't just me. Yeah. I wasn't just being a whiner, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, coming out of that, uh, then I decided, well, if I'm going to, you know, live this sort of life where I'm, I'm bouncing from one career to their one job to the next, might as well create the job that I mm -hmm. want and maybe yeah. there won't be as much bouncing. Um, and so, yeah, I, I took what I knew about audio and music and uh, my wife has been extremely supportive and a saint over the last few years. Uh, well, that's few, last 15 years, I guess. We love her. She's awesome. Um, and loud, she allowed me to turn the first floor of our house into a recording studio and build walls where there were none and <laughs> reinforce or uh, soundproof things that weren't soundproofed before. Uh, and so, yeah, it's from there on started taking clients and, and recording other people. And that eventually led to becoming a, a producer and, and working on projects outside of my own studio. And 
Nice. Nice. There's a um, there's a great um, commencement speech that Jim Carrey gave maybe five or six years ago. And I Mm. don't remember the university, but basically he says in the commencement speech that his dad was a lot funnier than he was and was absolutely hilarious and aspired to be a comedian, but decided to take the safe route and get a job at, you know, a, a company somewhere in, in Canada and ended up being fired, being and ended up being laid off within mm. the next few years. And so Jim's message basically is you can fail at what you don't want. Yeah. So you might as well do what you love. And that just resonates with me really strongly. Well, it used to be that you could go and get a stable long-term job where, you know, my, my grandparents, my grandfather worked at International Harvester for, I don't know, 30 years mm-hmm. or something. And, you know, he had a pension and oh, yeah. made it enough money that he, you know, they lived comfortably, if not wealthily. Today, that's almost unheard of. I know. Uh, you can make, you can have the kinds of jobs where you make a lot of money in a short time and, and you know, risk burnout and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but more often than not, you end up in a job that lasts for three or four years. And then either things get restructured or, you know, you, you have to move on for various reasons. Mm-hmm. That kind of safety net really is not something most people have these days. No. No, it's not. Um, and it can be tricky. You know, the, the older generations, even boomers, really, um, can still get caught up in that, you know, you should find a place and stay there and work your way up. And I mean, if that's what you want to do, great. Um, but, you know, nothing is safe anymore. You can be fired on a whim and, you know, let go by yourself or with 500 people. Right. And, um you know, so you might as well pave your own road. Soul Power is sponsored in part by Arts with a Purpose and Michael Newton Audio Services. If you or your company would like to be featured as a sponsor on Soul Power, please visit us at soulpowerpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E powerpodcast.com. So what, uh, if, if you had a client who was just thinking about, should I go out on my own? Um, should I start following my my passion or my dreams? What sorts of advice beyond you know just do it would you, would you give them? Um, what do they need to think about? What are the sort of initial steps that they would want to take? So you probably want to know what you want to specialize in, obviously, before you go into a solopreneur role. Um, you know, first steps are always kind of writing down or or thinking, what do I want this to look like? You know, what what functions will I have in this role? Um, Am I the only one who's, you know, who's in the company? Am I going to hire anyone else? Um, Basically, what does does this look like? Um, And then from there, um, you know, there are so many great resources, as I mentioned earlier, online to help you set up your business. There's the Small Business Administration. Um, There's um, women in business groups. Mm. There's the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, there are so many groups out there that will help you um, scale your business if you want to, market, um, you know, whatever it is that that you want to do. Um, I would say if you really 
want to do it, then focus on it, set that goal and make it happen, but not just, you know, focusing on it and making it happen. Make sure that you have the resources you need, you have the support you need from people, the accountability you need, um, and that you have everything in place legally that you need to. Um, and everything else just sort of falls into line and falls into place once you start doing those things. So I think one of the first things I did was get an EIN letter. Mm -hmm. And um, Mine. me too. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I can't. I can never remember what opened, it is. I always have to look it up. Business banking account for all the money that I wasn't making. Yes. Yet. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, business bank account as well. I have that. Um, you know, there are documents that. Um, you know, if you want to set yourself up as an LLC or mm -hmm. an S Corp or whatever, there are uh, legal documents that you need to complete. Oh, LegalZoom is another great resource online. I did all of my legal stuff through them. And it was so much cheaper than going through an attorney mm -hmm. to do it. And they have, you know, online attorneys for free. You know, hey, do you need a consult for this? Do you need help with this particular um, document? It's just, it was a lot easier to do through them. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you? For initial steps, I'm a, I always like to start, and I, I've started a few like small companies along the way that eventually have conglomerated into <laughs> one big multifaceted sort of enterprise. But I'm a I'm a big fan of I like to be able to see where I'm going, mm -hmm. and so I'll often start with a website. I'll just design a website uh, and some business cards and some um, peripheral uh, what do you call it? assets? I guess yeah yeah you know something to make it concrete to start out. Just because you know it they, at that point it goes from being an idea or a want into a thing I can actually give to people mm -hmm. or show people, uh, even if it's not ready yet. You know, I can take my wife or or friends or whatever and say, "Hey, you know, I'm working on this idea. See what you think." And taking it into the in out of the mind and into the world of the realm of reality, I think, is a a big first step. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of people who have these desires to start companies or, or write novels or whatever right. it is, but they spend the rest of their life thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's all well and good. It's great to have fantasies, but if you want it to be something other than that, any little thing you can do, and, and a lot of these things you can do cheaply or for free mm -hmm. to, um, to just sort of, get the ball rolling and have something to look at and to, to hold on to, I think is a big first step. Yeah, it's great to have that visual. You know, if you can see it, if you can create the landing page of your website or create a business card, it's kind of like, okay, yeah. it's real, it's concrete, it's there. I can actually, you know, kind of get excited about it. And it can always be revised. It can always be changed. And nothing, you know, don't don't go out and print 20,000 copies of your <laughs> business card or your brochure or whatever, you know, spend some time with it and, and uh, refine it as you go along. Um, and, and that was another point, actually, that I was thinking about is that I think some people end up abandoning their plans because things are turning out differently than what mm. they initially had planned for them to do. And it's great, you know, it's totally fine to do that if 
the, the way things are working out is not making you happy. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's making you miserable, by all means, stop. Right. But also, I think as, a, as an entrepreneur, you have to be open to flexibility and change in what it is that you do. When I started out uh, in the music world, I wanted to, I started out, you know, I wanted to be a singer-songwriter. And then, and I, I still do that. But, and then I became an engineer because I wanted to learn how to make my own records and not spend, you know, $3,000 mm -hmm. a day in the studio. Um, but as I started making records for other people, I found out that for some reason I, I ended up early on and well, just because I early on, I got a couple of hip hop clients, Oh, nice. which I'm not a hip hop listener. I, it's just not what I mm -hmm. tend to gravitate to. I've, I, there's some that I like out there and some that I don't, but um, I ended up recording a lot of hip hop records through word of mouth and and uh, just through the people who were initially drawn to my ads and things. And if you'd asked me two years before that, oh, are you are you going to make like hip hop and you know heavy metal and all that kinds of stuff? I probably would have said no. That's not really my thing. You know, I just want to do jazz and pop rock mm -hmm. and folk music or whatever. If I hadn't. If I had tried to stick just to that and had turned away uh, everything else, I wouldn't have had any business for a while to mm -hmm. speak of. But at least with those things, you know, I was able to, A, play musically in somebody's backyard mm -hmm. that I wasn't familiar with. It was fun from that perspective. But it was also just a matter of it was enough inertia to help carry me forward and help things keep rolling until I started getting more of the kinds of projects that I had initially set out to get. Yeah. That makes sense. And so what did you learn from those experiences? I mean, I learned a lot of technical sorts of things, mm -hmm. first off. Um, it, it opened up, because if you're going to record something, you, you need to be able to listen to it and hear what it's supposed to sound like mm -hmm. in your head. So I ended up listening to a lot of different you know, artists that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. And um, so just learning about, you know, how how is a hip hop song mixed differently than mm -hmm. like a rock song? You know, how what's the level of the vocal compared to the music in the background? You know, how much or how little bass in certain parts? And, you know, what are the structures of the songs like? Um, and to be able to then articulate that or, or help an artist articulate it when they're going for, you know, a, a certain tune or a certain take. Um, I would say a lot of it was just yeah, musical and technical background to get certain sounds that then I could play with and take mm -hmm. to other fields, other genres. That's really cool. So would you record hip hop stuff again? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is there one type of music or genre that you just, oh, I would hate to have to record that? Mm, I don't think so, honestly. I mean, I, I've made, you know, 12 minute doom metal song records. <laughs> I have made hip hop records and rap records and, you know, folk and pop and classical, you know, in one weekend, even now my, my music recording can go from the 16th century to the 21st century <laughs> uh, in the matter of 24 hours. So, and I, and I enjoy that sort of, now I know some people who are, you know, Oh, I'm, I just make rock and roll records or, you know, they don't have either they don't have the background or feel comfortable with doing it or it's just not their thing which mm -hmm. is great if you can stay employed doing that yeah but generally yeah. i found it's hard to stay employed yeah. doing just the one thing that you really want to do mm -hmm. um, and you yeah. know even if you're doing the one thing you really want to do you're going to find projects that you don't want to do right right but again it's about inertia i think too you've got to keep the ball rolling and uh 
Sam, uh, Sam Jackson, there was an interview with him I saw a little while back, and one of the interview the interview asked him, he's, you know, you you're at the point where you you know you're getting into your sixties or seventies, however old he is, and and you are keep you keep taking all of these projects, mm-hmm. all these projects. And he's like, well, yeah, I learned early on that, you know, as my grandfather would say, you make hay while the sun's shining. Yeah. And when you're self-employed, whether you're an actor or a musician or a coach or or whatever, you know, when you're done with a gig or a client, congratulations, you're unemployed again. Right. Right. And so you've got to got to keep the ball rolling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That inertia is is necessary. And it's necessary at the beginning, um, I think even more than later on, at least in my experience, getting one small thing done Mm -hmm. and then another small thing done. And you can build on that. And I didn't actually learn that until I went through a coaching program that, oh, it's a series of small steps Mm -hmm. and you build on that and you get momentum from that. And now that I think about it, it's like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yes, of course. You just do one. Because Anything is better than nothing. You know, doing Absolutely. something for your business or toward your business is better than not doing anything. One of the one of my favorite quotes that I, I go back to again and again is from Ray Bradbury and his well, he said it in lots of places, but the, in uh, Zen and the Art of Writing, he said, you know, jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's that's really the spirit you have to have to become uh, an entrepreneur of any kind, mm-hmm. you can't doubt too much. Now, it's good to be circumspect. You yeah, know, you want to consider right. the factors and make sure you're not just blindly jumping and don't have any glue for your wings. <laughs> but at the same time, I think you know you have to have that willingness to to fail. Yeah, um, or to land really hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people, I think that what that's what separates people who end up doing that and becoming successful versus those who don't. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I, I think about when you said just doing a little something, uh, my guitarist, uh, Dave Alexander, who I've worked with for 30 some years, he's, uh, he's a very productive, very type A, well-organized guy. Um, you know, when he's not playing music, he's a financial advisor, mm-hmm. but, uh, that requires also a lot of, a lot of self-direction. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, we all have days, some more than others where you don't feel like doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do it for, tell yourself you're just going to do it for 15 minutes. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, that 15 minutes will turn into an hour mm-hmm. or two hours or four hours. And you're definitely further along. And even if you only do the 15 minutes, you're de- you're still further along than when you started. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and I learned that in... Um, the stress center. <laughs> I ended up going into the stress center or uh, um, I don't know what else you would call it, a, a mental health facility, I guess, um, for a few days after I had my little meltdown and did some therapy for the rest of the summer. Helped immensely. But I can remember one particular day um, I was in a therapy session with uh, a therapist and a few other patients and someone said, to the therapist, I'm having a really hard time motivating myself. Mm. You know, depression, obviously, you, you kind of have a hard time motivating yourself anyway. Absolutely. But this person was really having uh, trouble with it. And I remember the therapist saying, you're not going to have momentum right now. You're not going to have um, 
motivation to do anything. You have to do it for the sake of doing it. Mm. And it's almost kind of like, you know, the fake it till you make it thing. Once you start doing that, then you do get excited and you, you know, just like you said about Dave, you're there for two hours. And, and speaking of fake it till you make it, uh, one thing that I have to remind myself of, and I think every person out there who does something, especially something creative, but any kind of self-employed person, all of us feel like imposters a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. And I've seen that firsthand, you know, myself, but I've seen it in people who win Grammy Awards. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in people who are literal household names, who basically are, they believe that one day they're going to find out that Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, or that I don't know as much about what I'm doing as I think I think I do. Or right. Whatever. Right. And that's completely normal. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to learn. And some people never do. But to help, it takes a lot of effort to deal with that. Yeah. That that voice of, you know, you should have inertia. You should have yeah. momentum. You should have been much further than this by mm-hmm. now. You know, well, what you should have taken that client. That client would have been yeah. led to other things. And you know, it's good to, again, good to be circumspect, but there's a lot of a lot you can do to dwell too much on yeah. the past. And you should stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> stop shooting on yourself. <laughs> that's a that's a therapy thing that I learned don't, a lot. Don't long step time. in the should. Yes. But it's so true. We you know, we we do say to ourselves, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing that, or you know, I should be farther along. And Really, you know, the race is against yourself. Um, it's, there isn't anyone standing in your way, typically, but you. When I work with clients who have um, fear issues, you know, about starting a business, oh my gosh, I just, the thought of having to do everything myself is so scary. And, and it's typically fear that, that steps in and, and keeps us from doing something because our brains as humans really like the known. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> we really like certainty a lot. And when we don't have it, we get anxious. Yeah, yeah. And our brains don't recognize what's happening. So there are lions out of the darkness. <laughs> there are lions in the jungle. <laughs> They'll Stay in get the cave. You. Stay exactly. in the cave. Right. Right. And it's very tempting to do that because it's safe Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Well, I don't have to put myself out there. Um, But at the end of the day, you're not putting yourself out there. True. Mm-hmm. Well, we're getting close to being out of time here. I noticed you had a few other questions written down or things you might want to talk about. Any of those that you want to visit now? Um, let's see. Um, what are the best parts of being a solopreneur? Ah. I would say the easily the best part is being in charge of your own day. Mm-hmm. Testify. Um, <laughs> you know, if I want to go in at nine in the morning, I can go in at nine in the morning. If I want to start working at nine at night, mm-hmm. I start working at nine at night. Um, you know, when you're working with clients, it, they largely can determine your schedule as well. Right. But you still have some control over scheduling. And um, and you don't have someone looking over your shoulder every minute of the day going, now don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. You do if you're married. Okay. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, your spouse is always going to, you know, ask you if yeah. you've done stuff during the day. But um, mm-hmm. but being 
being able to sort of chart your own course, I think, yeah. is by far the best thing. I I would agree with you. Um, doing what I want when I want, um, I think, is is by far the the top. Uh, and really, if you just put it into words, um, flexibility and freedom, mm-hmm. having the freedom to run my business however I want to and choose the clients I want to. Now, <laughs> when I first started, I had to be a little less picky. Um, but, you know, it's about all of those things. It's it's that, that freedom and knowing that no one is ever going to be my boss again. <laughs> That's a great, great feeling. I always found the, the idea of bosses particularly strange. I don't know, maybe it's because... You know, I've always been sort of on the, until I was in academia full time, I was always sort of on the periphery of, of any kind of, you know, office culture. Yeah. And <laughs> the thought that there's one person that I have to report to and who is my superior mm-hmm. and who is like all this sort of hierarchical military-esque kinds of things, you know, and when it's, we're teaching classes on writing, you know, I, I went from... Before before I became a full-time academic, I spent a couple of years volunteering in a local ER. Oh, really? Which, those are actual emergencies. Oh, yeah. You know, somebody comes yeah. through the door and they're missing an arm, you know pretty much that you have to react immediately. <laughs> right. Having people who treated minor inconveniences as actual emergencies... I found it almost laughable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I nearly had, well, not nearly, I had to stifle laughter a few times when somebody was really upset about this one particular thing that was going to make or break their, no, it wasn't actually. Yeah. And, you know, I always would say there's no such thing as an academic emergency. Right. <laughs> there's no such thing as a marketing emergency. Right, exactly. <laughs> Missing your arm, getting your jugular vein <laughs> Punctured, those are emergencies. <laughs> those are emergencies, yeah. Yeah, I I used to think that when I worked in marketing, especially the corporate marketing job that I left um, in 2013, very high stress, very fast paced, and just, you know, there are no marketing emergencies. There's no need to be this worked up about marketing. <laughs> it just isn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, our, our budgets, our money, all that kind of thing's important, but... sure. In in the end, if you're 20 minutes late doing something, it's probably not going to have a lifelong mm-hmm. impact on you or anyone else. Right. So. Right. Right. I agree. Okay. All right. I'll say pretty good first episode. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode here. Uh, our plan is to have some new and interesting guests each week to talk to. And Absolutely. It won't just be the two of us. You know, rattling each other's, well, rattling our jaws and rattling each other's brains. I don't even know if that's a thing, but I'm saying it is. Uh, but thank you again for listening. I'm Gabriel Harley. And I'm Angela Jordan. And this has been Soul Power. Peace out. been listening to Soul Power, the podcast by, for, and about solopreneurs. Soul Power is recorded by Gabriel Harley, and it was mixed and edited by Michael Newton. For more information, visit us at soulpowerpodcast.com or at facebook.com slash soulpowerpodcast. That's S-O-L-E power podcast. 
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. Your support is what keeps us going.